So today we come to chapter 4 in our study of the book of Genesis. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles up there. Genesis chapter 4. And we've got a lot to cover this morning, so we're going to go ahead and jump right on into it. Verse 1 says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. So back in Genesis chapter 1, if you'll remember, verse 28, we saw where God told the man and the woman, the male and the female, to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And here in verse 1, just as God told them to do, we see that they began the process of multiplying. So Cain was born, and Eve here understands where the blessing of a child comes from. She didn't say, oh, Adam, look what you and I have made, right? She instead understood that this child was from the Lord. You see, man, of course, did not invent the process of making other human beings. God put all of this in order. It is all his design. He made a man and a woman, and he created in them the ability to make more men and women, right? All of creation points back to God, the creator, as we have seen as we've studied through Genesis even thus far. So Eve knew who to acknowledge in this, okay? And verse 2 says, Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. So pause right there because there's something that I just want to briefly point out to you here that will make a big difference as, in, as to how you understand the book of Genesis. And that is, is that between verse 1 and 2, a period of time has gone by, and we don't even have all the filler information within that time, right? Eve had a child, got pregnant, and had another child. So the reason that I point this out to you is that as you read through Genesis, we're really not given detail on how much time passes in regards to all of the events that we will study in this book. But just realize that God has given us a record of the beginning of creation, including the heavens and the earth, the creatures of the land and the sea, and of course mankind, ourselves, right? But there are a lot of things that we'll study in this book, but we really don't know how much time passes between all of these events, right? Of course, we'll see how long people live and such. We'll be given some of that detail. But as it pertains to what we're studying right now, we're not given much detail in relations to a time period. But verse 2 continues, and in regards to Adam and Eve's second child, it says, Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So we see here that Adam and Eve had children, and no two were alike. You see, God put in man the ability he didn't put in man the ability to make clones, right? Each and every person is unique in the sight of God. We all come with different personalities, different interests, different abilities, and not one of us should strive to be like someone else. You, all, you often hear parents say, and I know Penny and I have said, 
one child so different from the next child. You know, everybody is so different. Um, but oftentimes today, though, our youth especially are falling into the trap of being just like everyone else. You know, fashion designers, movie producers, television ads and the like. They all try to mold and shape our youth into that pit of just following the crowd and being like everyone else, right? And our youth aren't the only ones that fall into this, right? Adults do the same thing in the way that we behave as well. But we need to realize, though, that God has designed mankind in such a way that we each are unique and we are special in His eyes. And we do all we can to live this life in a way that is pleasing to Him, regardless of what others around us may think. That's what we should do. We shouldn't just let television and movies and advertisements and the rest of the world around us mold and shape us into the people that we are. We should find out who God, the designer, the creator of all, desires for us to be and be that person, right? But the first two children of Adam and Eve were very different from each other. And this process of unique human beings being born will continue uh, from Cain and Abel all the way till the end of time as we know it, right? Unique human beings continue to be born. Children continue to, to be born. And the adults today need to take the time to teach the children that they are unique and that they are special in God's eyes, okay? So Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain was a tiller of the ground, what can we deduce out of those two facts there? If Abel was a shepherd and Cain was a farmer, then we can say that the earliest of mankind, all the way back to the beginning, they were not hunters and gatherers. They were not cavemen, as we get depicted, as, as our kids get taught in school today. They were sheep herders. They were farmers. Okay? Men didn't drag their women around by the hair and live on only hunting and take them back into the cave, right? This kind of stuff didn't exist. People from the very beginning were into agriculture, right? With Cain, we see agriculture. With Abel, we see the domestication of animals. This started from the very beginning with God, right? So this is another thing, though, that our kids are taught today, right, is the, is the lies of evolution in our schools. They're not taught their real value. They're not taught who they are in the eyes of God. They don't see that they have a creator. So they think of themselves as worthless and they think of themselves as useless. You know, just this week, a local high school boy, state champion, uh, cross-country runner, shot and killed himself. He people, kids don't understand their value. They don't understand their worth because they're being taught that they came from slime. They're being taught that they were, you know, evolved. They're, they've evolved from something. Instead of teaching that they are created by God and that God has a design and a purpose, a unique purpose for their lives, something that he has created them to do. And we as adults need to remember this ourselves and then pass it on to our children. But verse 3 continues and says, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Now, notice there in verse 3 those words, in the process of time. So again, 
time goes by in the things that we are studying, it's important to keep this in mind, okay? But Cain comes forward to wherever this place is that they met with God, and he brings an offering of what the ground had produced for him. And Abel brings forth the firstborn of the flock and their fat. So it seems they've both done well here, right? They recognize that what they have comes from the Lord. And of course, we today should do the same. And we should honor the Lord in the things that we have as well. But the important thing as we bring offerings to the Lord is that our hearts are right before God. God looks upon the heart, we're told in the Bible. And our heart is his primary concern. We often look to the outward things to gauge how God is working or how he's not working in our lives. We can fall into that trap at looking at our circumstances and such. But he doesn't see things the way we do. The famous verse of Isaiah chapter 55 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. This is what the Lord says. Okay? And God knows our thoughts. He knows what is in us. And as we read verse 5 here where it says, but, but he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So in knowing the, the, the thoughts, the hearts of mankind, God sees something that he does not like in Cain. Okay? How do we know this? Well, just by continuing to read on. Verse 6, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, if you do well, will you not be accepted? That's a question that God asks. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So God did not respect Cain or his offering because he knew what was in Cain. And he gives Cain a warning here in verse 7. Again, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So the warning to Cain is that he needed to rule over the sin that was in him. And God knew this was in his heart and in his thoughts. And we are about to see here that Cain had murder on his thoughts. And in his mind. Verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass. When they were in the field. That Cain rose up against his brother. And killed him. So God didn't accept Cain. Nor his offering. Because of what he knew was in Cain. Again. God looks upon the heart. And the heart of the matter. Is what really matters. But all the way back in the beginning of time, because of the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, which we've already studied thus far, sin was now in the picture. And the first child ever born of a woman was a murderer. Okay? 
And this was all a result of mankind having both the knowledge of good and evil. It's not what God intended from the beginning. It wasn't what he wanted. He wanted man to just simply be obedient. And all of this could have been avoided if mankind would have just been obedient to the word of God. And that same thing holds true today. There's so much sin that can be avoided if we just remain obedient to the word of God. But even after sin entered the picture and before Cain gave in to this sin, God warned him to rule over that sin that lied at his door. God said, rule over it. You should rule over this. And this holds true for every human, human being today. Sin does not have to be acted upon in our lives. We can resist it and we can rule over it. Okay? We can control what we do and what we don't do. Okay? Let's look at some scriptures and remind ourselves of this fact. I want you to mark this page and turn to the New Testament book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. It's 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, then Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. And we'll start reading down in verse 14. It says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So let's pause right there for a moment. You see, sin in us causes us to lash out at one another in one way, shape, or form. Sin in us causes us to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Jesus wants us as his followers, he wants us to walk in love. Okay? And 1 Corinthians 13, 5 tells us that love does not seek its own. That's one way we can, that's a barometer right there as to whether we're walking in love. Are we seeking our own? Is it all about us or do we care about others? Do we love others, right? So Jesus humbled himself and was crucified by his own creation. Okay? He requires that we too humble ourselves and consider others as better than ourselves. This was the way of our Lord when he walked on the earth. So why shouldn't it be our way if we call him Lord? If we say he is our Lord and he is our master, well, then we should be people that are known for walking in the way that the Lord walked, which is in love. Now, verse 15 continues here and says, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So remember here that this letter is addressed to the body of Christ, believers in the city of Galatia. The body of Christ can destroy itself from within, if not for love. But you see, sin does lie at our door, as was the case with Cain. And if we allow jealousy, envy, bitterness, wrath, these type of things to be a part of how we operate in this life, then we will be destroying the body of Christ by doing so, because no one wants to be a part of that kind of thing. 
And people will look upon us and say, look, they're hypocrites. They, they treat each other like this. They treat others just like this, right? But as followers of Christ, we are to walk in a different way than that. Verse 16 here says, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Keep in mind, Cain told Adam, or excuse me, God told Cain that he should rule over the sin in his life. And we're told here, if we walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So in verse 16 there is a very matter-of-fact statement, right? If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You see, if you are walking in the Spirit, you, you'll not go around with a nasty attitude toward others, right? People that have a nasty attitude toward others are in that way fulfilling the lust of the flesh and revealing the content of their heart when they do that. Because Jesus said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the things that come out of our mouth, if we have nasty things coming out of our mouth, we're constantly bitter with people, whatever, that's coming from our heart. And we need to check our heart, right? Because the flesh lusts to be selfish. The flesh is self-seeking and self-indulgent, self-centered, right? If you're in a bad mood and you talk in a negative way about others, you're not walking in the Spirit. And all of us can fall into this. All of us can have days like this, so to speak. But what do we do? We yield to the Spirit. We repent. We turn. We pray. Take time to pray. Seek the Lord. Okay? There, there's cures for this. Look down at verse 22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. So, is this the modus operandi of our lives, right? Is our lives well-established in the fruits of the Spirit? Because only when we walk in these things that we read there in verse 22 and 23, only when we walk in this way will we not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we've got to learn to walk in this way. Verses 22 and 23, that list of things we just read there, right? And verse 24 continues, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So as we flip back now to Genesis chapter 4, such was the story with Cain. He wanted to be the big dog, right? He was self-centered. It was all about him. And he decided to kill his brother. Sin was in his heart. And God knew what was in his heart. And God warned him, though, that he could rule over that sin. And we too must realize that we can choose to do the same even today. And the recipe is to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. That's the answer, right? 
But verse 9 continues in Genesis chapter 4 and says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Wow, what an arrogant spirit Cain has about him here, right? He had no remorse, and he cared only about himself. And the answer to Cain's question, am I my brother's keeper, is yes. The answer is yes. We are to care for one another. We are to consider others as better than ourselves, as Jesus told us to do. Again, this was the way of our Lord, so it should be our way as well. And yes, we are our brother's keeper. And verse 10 says, And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now, I want to show you a verse of Scripture here. So let's just briefly turn, mark this page, but let's briefly turn all the way toward the back of your Bible. Find the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. It's right after Philemon and right before James. Now I'm just going to read to you again from Genesis chapter 4, verse 10. God says to, to Cain, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And then down in verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm kind of jumping in the middle of something here, but I just want to point this one verse out to you. Verse 24, To, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You see, the blood of Abel speaks of judgment. Abel's blood cried out to God for judgment against Cain. But the blood of Jesus speaks better things. The blood of Jesus cries out for forgiveness. And the blood of Jesus judges sin and does away with sin. But as we walk on this earth, people still choose the way of sin, don't they? People still murder. People still envy. People still commit fornication and adultery and such. People gossip. People lie. People steal from one another. But if we proclaim the blood of Jesus, then we are under a new covenant. And there should be a difference in the way that we live. Because the blood of Jesus now speaks better things. Abel's blood was crying out for judgment. But the blood of Jesus says something better to us. We've got a new covenant. We have a new way that we can walk, a new way that we can live, okay? Our faith in His shed blood, His finished work on the cross, should produce in us the fruits of the Spirit. We should see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives because of what Jesus has done and because of what our, our faith in Him, right? We should be different in the way that we live. The Bible says in Corinthians, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. So there's a way we walk when we walk by faith in Jesus Christ, and it's a new way. It's not in a way where we're giving in to sin any longer. It's a way where we're giving in to the fruit of the Spirit. And as we flip back now to Genesis chapter 4, 
Cain will now have judgment pronounced upon him. And verse 11 continues and says, So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. So this was a life sentence for Cain. Life was now going to be very, very difficult for him. His profession of tilling the ground, his farming was not going to produce for him anymore. He would for the rest of his life be known as a murderer, the first person that ever took another human being's life. And verse 13, And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. So here we see that Cain remains self-centered. He thinks that his punishment is too harsh. But this is the way of those that walk in sin, isn't it? They pity themselves, but they never hurt for the others that they've injured or the families that they've affected, right? But God's judgment is God's judgment here. And there's nothing that Cain can do, to, do about it, but he, he pleads to God for mercy here. And in verse 14, he says, Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it'll happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. So the Lord shows mercy even to this murderer Cain here. But his punishment is still his punishment. Cain's not going to die for what he's done, but he'll live a miserable life. He'll be a vagabond on the earth. And he'll forever be marked by what he has done, right? And he won't be able to produce from his profession anymore of tilling the ground. Okay? Verse 16. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. So we see something twice here in these verses. Back in verse 14 there, Cain proclaims to the Lord, I shall be hidden from your face. Do you see that back in verse 14? I shall be hidden from your face. And then in verse 16 here, it says that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. You see, sin separates us from the presence of God. This is not what God wants for us. He wants us in fellowship with Him. He wants us to commune with Him, right? But what's in our hearts and our actions can separate us from God's will for us. That's important. What's in our hearts and our actions can separate us from God's will for our lives. So we must examine ourselves and we must examine ourselves in accordance with the light of the word of God and we must test ourselves and check our hearts, right? If sin is in our hearts, sin is on our, and on our thoughts, then we must confess this sin before God and not act upon us, right? Not one of us here can say that you've never had a bad thought, that you've never had an evil thought. We do. We go through this, but we can rule over that sin. We don't have to act upon it. 
and we can confess it before God, and we can live in a different way. So we must yield to the leading of the Spirit and walk in the fruit of the Spirit. This is the answer to that sin, okay? Because if we're not careful, sin is lying at our door, and it will consume us, and it will ultimately cause us to bite and devour one another and lash out at one another and consume each other. And what happens when we do that, when we get that attitude, when we get that way, we end up losing fellowship with family. We end up losing relationships and friendships as a result of our attitudes, right? So this is what we learn from the story with Cain today. But of course, Cain's life was to go on and he would have a family of his own. And verse 17 continues and says, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Okay, so here's the age-old question that people love to ask, right? Where did Cain get his wife? (laughs) Everybody loves that question, right? Where did she come from? Well, as I mentioned to you earlier, and that's why I said it was important, there is a lot of time that goes by here in the Genesis account. God doesn't give us, you know, in his word, the genealogy and every detail of all of mankind. He just gives us a portion that will matter to the whole story as we go through the whole Bible. He's given us that portion of it that matters. And we'll see that fall, as you read through the Bible, you'll see that all that falls into place. Okay? And in the end, the story is, we must come to know Jesus. So it's the genealogy of Jesus that is the most important. And as we trace through the Bible, that's what we're going to study. Right? It, you know, if we had the genealogy of all of mankind in a book or in volumes of books, how many of us would take time to read it anyway? It's hard enough for people today to take time to read this book, to read the Bible. So if we had one this high of all the genealogy and of all the time periods and of every detail, we don't need all that. God knows what we need. And again, it's all going to point to Jesus and be all about him. So, we, so my point is here is we don't have the genealogy of the daughters of Adam and Eve. But they did have daughters, right? They had to have daughters. Otherwise, there would be no daughters on the earth today, right? Think about it. It takes a male and a female to make a new male and a female. So Adam and Eve had daughters, okay? But, and Cain, yes, married one of his sisters, But you know, so did I. You see, since we're all descendants of Adam and Eve, then they're the parents of us all. And I married my sister in that sense, didn't I? Okay. You see, all the way back in the beginning, the genes of mankind were pure. There was no problem with this when Cain did this, nor was there any other way that it could take place. Today, though, that's not the case, is it? The further we have gotten away from the purity of God's creation, the more polluted the gene pool of human beings have become. 
So as a result of this, God's going to later go on in the law, in the book of Leviticus and in the book of Deuteronomy, we'll see that God decrees that, a, that marriage between relatives was no longer acceptable, as is the case today. But in the beginning, when God made everything pure and good, the gene pool was pure and it was good. Okay, But God eventually, as sin continued to, you know, take over in the lives of people and the gene pool gets disturbed, God said, hey, we're putting an end to this. And you can read about that in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. No more. Okay, no more of this. Okay, so yes, where did Cain get his wife? His sister. So did I. They're my parents all the way back, right? But we don't marry our blood relatives today because God knows that the blood is contaminated today. Not like it was. It's not pure like it was in the beginning, right? So the history of mankind goes on here, right? And verse 18 says, To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begot Mehuael, and Mehuael begot Methushael, and Methushael begot Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the harp and the flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal-Cain an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Neymah. So what we see here in verses 18 through 22 is the very quick, very rapid advancement of the generations of people. Okay? And with this advancement, now again, we weren't told the number of years that just passed and all of that we just read, right? But with this advancement came a great progress of civilization. We see here the building of a city, people that could build houses, craftsmen and such, people that could create music and art, just in those verses, 18 through 22, and people that could do metalwork. Okay? And all of these skills have been passed down from generation to generation. So there was a civilized society all the way back in the beginning of time. Again, it wasn't these Neanderthal men, these cavemen walking around, right? But again, we don't get, we don't have a detailed information here on, on all of these vocations, do we? And you know, as civilization has grown, there has been all kinds of vocations that have been added to our society since that time, hasn't there? New things keep coming. Even within the last 20 years, look at the technological advancements that we have had and the new jobs that have been created, the new vocations and all that. So civilization continues to go on, but we see it all the way back here in Genesis, don't we? But God, so God gives us a hint here to where all of this began. But before we move on here, I want to go back and comment on verse 19 there, where it says that Lamech took for himself two wives. You see, Lamech was the first bigamist. In so doing, he was the first one 
to violate God's original intent for marriage. God created one man, one woman. Here Laman becomes the first, Lamech becomes the first bigamist and violates God's pattern for that. So as life would continue on, sin would continue on, right? Little by little, sin keeps growing and growing in the world. Verse 23, then Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice, wives of Lamech. Listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventyfold. So, seventy-sevenfold, I'm sorry. This is just a real arrogant rant by Lamech here. You can picture him sitting his two wives down here, sticking out his chest and proclaiming his greatness as you read these words. Okay? So we've seen in this chapter the first murder of all time in Cain and the first arrogant bigamist of all time in Lamech. But the point here is that we are no longer in Eden, are we? We're out of chapter 1 and 2 and, and look where we're going. Look how things are getting corrupted already, right? We're no longer in Eden anymore. And man is getting further and further away from the presence of God. Sin is rapidly polluting the earth and mankind as well as we're studying this. Verse 25 continues and says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. As for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. So again, a lot of time is flying by here in Genesis chapter 4. Seth is grown up and married with a son of his own. Adam and Eve have had Cain and Abel and Seth and a lot of other children in between. But you see, it's important to the whole story that Seth's name is mentioned here because he was a replacement for Abel. You see, Abel was murdered as a result of Cain acting upon the sin that was in his heart. Seth was Abel's replacement. And I'll just briefly show you why this is an important note in Scripture, why it's important that Seth is noted here, that we do have his name here, okay? I want you to mark this page, and I, we're almost done here, but I want you to turn to Luke chapter 3. In the New Testament, Luke chapter 3. You'll find in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, then Luke. Luke chapter 3. And let's look down at verse 23. So Luke 3, 23. It says, Now Jesus himself began his ministry about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. So, and on and on this genealogy will go here in Luke, right? But if you jump down to verse 38, because I'm not going to read through this whole genealogy today, but if you jump down to verse 28, the record continues and it says, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. 
So, you see, we started there with the genealogy of Jesus. And the genealogy of Jesus is traced all the way back to Seth. And from, so from Seth would come the Messiah. That's why I said it's important that we note who Seth is here. That's why I said we don't have all the genealogies of all of mankind in this one large book. But it's important that we know who Seth is because of this genealogy will come Jesus Christ. Okay? So, and as we just quickly flip back now to Genesis chapter 4. I just want you to look at this again. But Eve says there in verse 25, God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. So Seth again was the replacement for Abel. Abel was the one that had a right heart before God, didn't he? God was pleased with the heart of Abel. So God replaced Abel with Seth. And from Seth and his son Enosh, verse 26 tells us that then men began to call on the name of the Lord. So we're seeing this period of time where people are just doing what they want to do. Sin is running rampant, right? So prior to that time there, mankind was not really calling on the name of the Lord. They were, they were out of the garden. Sin was running rampant. Mankind was building cities. They were establishing trades. We got a glimpse of that today, right? Their civilization was booming at that point in time. But here we see recorded that mankind will once again begin to call on the name of the Lord. And of course, not all of mankind calls on the name of the Lord, do they? Not everyone does. But as we go on in Genesis, we will begin to study about a group of people that do call on the name of the Lord. And that's what Genesis is going to begin to be focused on. The group of people that do call on the name of the Lord. They're not a perfect people, nor are any of us, but they will call on the name of the Lord in their lives. So there's a lot to learn in what we've studied today. And I'll leave you with these questions based on what we've studied today. And that is, what kind of person will you be? Will you be a person that seeks the Lord? Will we be a people that want to be led by the, the Spirit and walk in the fruit of the Spirit? Will we be a people that resist the sin that lies outside of our door? Or will we walk in sin and in a sense become a vagabond, a vagabond on this earth because that sin will separate us from the presence of God? Do we want to know the presence of God in our lives? Right? Then then we need to walk in His way. And my encouragement to us all today is that we would seek the Lord and that we would be Christ-centered people as opposed to being self-centered people. We've seen both the bad and the good in this chapter, chapter 4 of Genesis. We've seen murder, pride, and arrogance. Cain not thinking he needed to be his brother's keeper. We've seen Eve, Cain, and Abel acknowledge God and what they were given, which was good. And here at the end of the chapter, we've seen the beginning of people, of a people that will call on the name of the Lord. So the final question to us that we need to examine ourselves in is how will we live? What will we be like? 
Will we be a people that seeks the Lord and knows the presence of the Lord? Or will we just desire to keep walking in the ways of sin of this world and be a vagabond who are, who are sep people that are separated from the presence of the Lord? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, again we thank you for your word, your holy word, your living word. Your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts deep within us, Lord. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart, Lord. Lord, we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. Lord, even as the Apostle Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who shall save me from this body of death? And of course, Paul knew the answer was you, Jesus. And we know the answer is you. We know that you have provided the way. We know that you have shed your blood for our sin, Lord. And we thank you for your shed blood. And oh, Lord, that we would not trample your blood under our feet, Lord, but that we would be a people of faith, faith in your word, Lord, a people that desires to be led by your spirit, filled with your spirit, that the fruits of your spirit would rule and reign in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, faithfulness, and gentleness, Lord. That all these kind of things would rule in our lives, Lord. And again, Lord, we just set this one hour aside on Sunday mornings, Lord, but now we've got a whole week ahead of us. I pray, Lord, that we would yield to you every morning, that we would seek you in the morning, that we would take time to pray when we get out of bed, Lord, and seek you and acknowledge who you are and who we are and how great you are and how much we lack, Lord, and how much we need you. We need thee every hour, as the old song says, Lord, but we need you with every breath we take, Lord, is the truth of the matter. So thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence here. Just pray your blessing upon us all as we go forth into a new week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.